Father, I pray that you'd help me and that you'd help us as we look into your word this morning. Father, I pray that you, by your spirit, um, would help connect us with the hearts of people, that you would encourage us and enable us to follow you properly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, <clears throat> fantastic passage. I'll, I'll come to it in a moment. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but just about every um, company these days seems to have a mission statement. Every church as well quite often has a mission statement, although usually the mission statement of churches aren't that different from each other, but there you go. Um, the, um, but let me give you a few mission statements, see if you can figure out what companies these are from. Uh, so check this out. This was, uh, well, let, let me just, this was, came up within a dorm room at Stanford University. Uh, I won't say the people because I might give it away, but here's the quote. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Figure it out yet? Google, right? Or check this one out, and, and this I find kind of funny in a way, but there you go. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, which is Nike, which is kind of like, come on, they just make shoes. Everybody needs shoes, you know, but there you go. Um, now, I wonder about you. What's the drive of your life? What's the direction of your life? If you had a mission statement, what might it be? And one thing that I'd want for any Christian, and that I want for all of us that would be part of that would be this, and that's to be a disciple of Christ. And when we hear the word disciple, sometimes we think it means follower, but it means more than that. In, in ancient times, you would study your family's trade, but if really smart, you could become someone's disciple. It was like the university of the day. It wasn't just about learning, though. It was about becoming you wanted to be like the rabbi. You wanted to follow him everywhere and try to live the kind of life that he lived. Rabbis, for example, would only call disciples that, that they thought had the potential to be like them. Okay? Can I just say this morning that Jesus calls each of us as his disciples. And to follow Jesus as his disciple is a significant thing. And we want to become like him. We want to try to live the life that he lived. And to do this, is, it's both easy and hard. It's logical and illogical. It's easy in that Jesus helps us. It's hard in that what he calls us to can be difficult. It's illogical in that we live in a world where people only live for this world. It's logical in that if God calls you to do something, we need to realize that this is God. So today, I want to focus just on verses 57 to 62 of what we've had read. And in this passage, three people um, come up to Jesus or are with Jesus on the road. And there's, for each of them, there are different things that hold them back from following Jesus, from discipleship. And with each person, I want to take us into what Jesus says, but know as well that as I'm trying to bring clarity to this passage and challenge I feel like these interactions are more profound than the words I'll give to them, okay? But my hope in this is that we will learn from the things that caused these three to turn back, but that we will become more fully dedicated followers of Christ. Now, check this out. As I'm, as I'm at the beginning here, I want to read a quote from Robert, Robert Capon, which says this. What happened, to the radical, what happened to radical Christianity? 
the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power dangerous? What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? See, um, one thing that can happen for us is that we fall into a nice Christianity. And, you know, in some ways, fair enough, but actually at the same time, God has called us to be different in this world. At times to stir things up. And so my, my prayer for us at the beginning here is that God might use us more powerfully, more significantly, that we'd realize what we are called to. And so check this out. The first man that comes to Jesus, verse 57, says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, notice that great commitment from this man. I'll follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus' reply essentially is that it would be easier to be a fox or a bird, and that they have holes and nests. I don't know if you've ever looked at a hole in the ground and thought, those animals have it good, right? What Jesus is called, what this is about here is that disciples of Jesus must be willing to face hardship. Right? Like we will all face hardships. They probably expected Jesus to be this victorious leader, not a person with nowhere to lay his head. And we find here in Luke 9.51, it says that as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. See, Jesus knew that in Jerusalem he was going to die. And in Luke 9.51, it starts this passage in the Gospel of Luke that we're looking at over this term, where Jesus resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. He is traveling to Jerusalem, knowing that in Jerusalem he'll die. And, and my hope is that through this series, as we, we essentially can walk with Jesus along that road. We can walk with Jesus. We can walk with the disciples. We can learn from Jesus. We can become more like him. Jesus later in, in, in Luke said it this way, Luke 14, 27, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Disciples of Jesus must be willing to face hardship. In my, um, in my early 20s, I did a, a summer of mission with an organization called YouthWorks. And I did a summer with them later on as well. But this first one, it surprised me because, you know, they modeled it on some of the things that they see in scripture, I suppose. And what you did is you would sign up to three months of mission where I knew that over those three months, I would be leading a construction site and preaching every evening and doing, like I knew all sorts of things as to what I would do, we'd be doing. What was interesting is I didn't know where. So they, pull us, they pulled us all together at the beginning of the summer, beginning of this three months, I'm in a room of 200 people. Four, uh, myself and three other people would be a team. I didn't know my team yet. And I didn't know where I was going. 
Um, they had sites throughout the United States, something like 30 or 40 sites, so it could be anywhere in the United States, or they also had five sites in Juarez, Mexico. Okay? And the, like there's something, so like that was, those three months were incredibly difficult. Um, they, I was sent to Juarez, Mexico. They've since closed the Juarez, Mexico sites because of safety, um, but it was a difficult three months, but incredibly rewarding and significant. And when Jesus calls us, what he calls us to isn't necessarily easy. We have to be willing to face whatever that might be, but it's worth it. He's worth it. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And so what's your attitude toward your faith? Are you resolved to follow Jesus for the long haul regardless of what we face, regardless of the cost? My hope is that you would, and, and as you pray over this with Jesus, that you, my hope is that you would say, I want to be your disciple. That's the first person that comes to Jesus. Second person comes to Jesus. Verse 59 says here, he said to another man, follow me. Now, interesting here, um, that Jesus invites this man, the only person we know of other than the 12 that Jesus invites. And then it says, verse 59, but the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Seems reasonable. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. Love that. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay, what's going on here? Again, this to us it sounds like a very reasonable request. We need to understand when this was written, it would have made sense in a way that we miss, I think. We need to understand the culture in which this is written to properly get what's happening here. In ancient Jewish culture, family commitments were very important. Funerals required much time and attention. And in this culture, people had a responsibility to their parents until they died. When this man says, let me bury my father, it's probably referring to sometime in the future. Otherwise, if it's urgent, if his father's already passed away, what's he doing next to the road, right? And even today, in villages in Syria and Iraq, when a rebellious son who wants his independence fights with his father, the father might say as a stinging blow, you want to bury me. Meaning, you want me to die, so your responsibility is over. There's a different mindset to what we're used to here. And so let me first go and bury my fathers. It's like saying, I've got responsibilities to my, to my parents. Let me see that through first. And what Jesus is saying here, I think if I kind of 
boil this down, is that disciples of Jesus put God above others. That doesn't mean that we don't love others. Of course, he calls us to that as well. It doesn't mean we don't love our parents. Of course, we do. But disciples of Jesus put God above others. Now, by the way, I think this makes sense. I think it makes sense to give yourself to something that's bigger than yourself. The, um, perhaps you've heard about this. A few years back, there was an organization called Mars One. They set the lofty goal of establishing a human colony on Mars by 2027, which is like six years from now. They were all over the news. They since have gone bankrupt. Okay? But check this out. At the time, they were looking for people that were highly skilled and willing to travel one way to Mars. Too expensive to bring people back, too, too complicated. So they wanted to have people who were willing to die on Mars. Despite this obstacle, they had more than 200,000 people submit video applications saying that they were willing to do this. Now, I think giving yourself to something bigger than yourself makes sense. You can give your life to little things or nothing and find you've wasted it. Isn't it better to give yourself to something bigger? Living on Mars is big, but meaningless compared to to living for Jesus. Right? And so here, disciples of Jesus put God above others. And then look with this third person, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, again, sounds reasonable. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, here, again, remember their stronger family connections. Saying goodbye to their family probably would include getting their permission. We see this with the image, Jesus replies with this image of a plowman. While plowing, like you've seen these pictures of old-style plows, right? While plowing, you couldn't look back or you would hit rocks, you would lose control, you'd make furrows in the ground that were crooked. And so you had to be focused, you had to be looking ahead. And so the challenge here is that disciples of Jesus essentially are not double-minded. They're focused. There was um, some years back, in, in 1997, Gary McPherson decided to do, wanted to do a study where he was trying to figure out why some children that would start musical instruments would end up being really good at them and others would not. Kind of an interesting study, right? And so what he did is he looked for all sorts of, they, they tried to, you know, plot out all sorts of differences between, um, in this study, between different children. And they, you know, looked at lots of things like intelligence, oral sensitivity, math skills, income, sense of rhythm, right? All these things you could see possibly having a significant impact. Here's, the diff- here's what made the difference. The best single predictor was this. Before they even picked their instrument, he would ask them, how long do you think you'll play? The students who said that they planned to play for a short time gave up early. The students who planned to play for a few years had more success. But the children who soared were the ones who said, I want to be a musician. 
I want to play for my whole life. Have you said to Jesus, I want to be your disciple? I want to be like you. I want to follow you. Have you heard that he is calling you, that you're worth it? You see, we're not just following Jesus for a few days or a few months or a few years, but for good. The call to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, means we must be willing to face hardship. We must be willing to put Jesus above others. We must not be double-minded. The cost of following Jesus is high, but he is worth it. The decision to be a disciple comes up over and over again. Right? Like we de- you decide sometimes up front, but still, as it says in Luke, we need to be willing to carry our cross daily that we might become more like Jesus and live more like he lived. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the call to discipleship. And Father, I pray for people all over the place right now. Father, I pray that you would help them to hear your call. That they would sense your call to come and follow, to be your disciple. And Father, I pray for any things that might get in the way, any things that might cause us to want to be half-hearted or to shrink back. And I pray that by your spirit, you would give us the strength in whatever way we can right now to say, I will follow you. I will be your disciple. My life's yours. For some of us, it may be a, uh, we may have to say to God right now, I don't feel strong enough. Make me strong. Help me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.